0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So if you've noticed, there is a theme that follows through between the Old Testament reading and our Gospel reading. It's this imagery of a shepherd, a shepherd and his sheep. And it says, A very important and prominent image found throughout all of Scripture. It's one of the primary imageries that are used to speak of God. We see this imagery beginning um, all the way back in Genesis. We have Jacob, who is also called Israel, the father of Israel, speaking of God, of Yahweh, as his shepherd, and the shepherd of his people. We see it through books such as Numbers and Kings. It's a theme that comes up in the the prayer book of the Hebrew people in the Psalms. One psalm in, in particular is Psalm 23, which is all about the Lord being the people's shepherd. And that psalm itself carried great significance and weight throughout the history of the Hebrew people, and also for Christians as well. We also see that throughout the prophets, God is depicted as a shepherd. And the redemption, the future restoration of Israel that is longed for, that the prophets speak of, is frequently, over and over again, spoken about with this imagery of a shepherd gathering his sheep, restoring his flock. We read one such prophetic utterance from the prophet Ezekiel, who in Ezekiel 34 has a long depiction and discussion of this imagery of shepherds, of sheep, and his God as the good shepherd that is one of the longest on continuous passages of a kind of parabolic type of imagery, it goes on for 31 verses. That's why, if you noticed, um, whenever put this passage into the bulletin, there are cuts out, because I don't know how many pages it would take for us to fit all of Ezekiel 34 into our bulletins. But then also you look at Jesus and this idea, this imagery of, of a shepherd is one of his favorite imageries to use to speak about the Father. He utilized it in multiple, on multiple occasions, this idea of, of sheep and a shepherd throughout multiple of his parables. And honestly, it's a theme that lays in the background, is an undercurrent that flows through so many of jesus's teachings and parables and as we see in the gospel reading today as elsewhere that jesus often refers to himself as a shepherd the good shepherd the prominence of this imagery also goes beyond just Scripture. If you go back into the earliest church, their, their iconography, their, their, their paintings, their, their, the catacombs and their early chapels, one of the most prominent images that were used by the early Christians was the image of Jesus as a shepherd. In our bulletins, there's this one... Mosaic that was found in a small Christian chapel that that dates back sometime in the early 400s. The image that is on the front of Jesus holding the lamb over his shoulders is an image that goes back they have carvings of it etched into stones and walls of catacombs going back to the second century, the 100s. Actually, they found um, ancient uh, uh, chalices that were used, these, these ancient chalices that were used by the earliest Christians, and the most common image, unlike ours, that usually have a cross on it, had a depiction of Christ as the good shepherd. See, whenever I was thinking about how to finish up and close this sermon series on the parables, I came to the John 10 passage. It's, whether it's a parable or parables, but it's also different than the parables. But I wanted to, to finish by addressing that because it's that imagery... That, kind of parabolic depiction that is used in story after story and was so held so tightly to by the earliest Christians of the Good Shepherd that I think is the right way to finish up. But also, because of how rich and important this imagery is and how it goes through so many different streams within Scripture, um, I also decided that, that I wanted to break it up into a a kind of mini multi-part series. And so for today, what I simply want to do is look at this imagery that threads itself throughout so much of Scripture and look at it from the standpoint of understanding these key players, understanding the nature and role of shepherds, and then the meaning that is being referred to as sheep. And then finally, the significance of this idea of Jesus as the good shepherd. And then, through that, next week, to dive more deeply into the actual parables themselves, the texts, and breaking that down to get a a richer understanding of what's conveyed. But to just kind of give a, a, a quick overview of this imagery... Um, To understand what is being used, it's hard for us often because we, we are not a culture that has a ton of shepherds anymore. And even when we do have shepherds, people who are farmers who raise sheep, we don't do it like they did in the first century. And so for us modern Western people, um, a lot of this imagery can be, can be quickly lost. That would have immediately came to mind by any first century hearer, or I can't remember what century Ezekiel was, <laughs> was prophesying in, but would have came to mind just the same for them. But if you look at the shepherd in, in the ancient Near East, it was, first of all, it was a full-time job. And also, the shepherd, if they were a good shepherd, their entire livelihood, their being, their family, their, their home was often with their sheep. And they were essential and they were necessary because they needed to continually protect the sheep. There's no electric fences or barbed wire fences. And this protection of the sheep could actually be a very dangerous job at that time. They didn't have a 30-06 or a 44 magnum on their hip in case a wolf showed up or some other predator. And also something that is interesting to note is that there were a lot more predators back then. Um, The predators were a constant threat and hindrance to the livestock and to the lives of the people. And over time, as humans got better and better at creating weaponry to kill things, we started removing more and more of those threats. If you notice, most predators are endangered, rare, and the ones that aren't as endangered anymore were almost made extinct. So back then... To be a shepherd, you were constantly facing the threat of predators, and you were there to protect the sheep from that. They also existed to lead the sheep to green pastures. You see this used over and over again within Scripture. Because the thing is, is with sheep is, what's kind of humorous and, and sad as well, is that sheep will remain in the same place unless led elsewhere. And so even if they are surrounded by hills of green, they will often just stay in that same spot that has then become treaded down and pure mud and not move on unless they had a shepherd to lead them there. The shepherd also was required to not just care for the sheep, but they had to train them in a manner as almost like training a dog, each and every one of them, to be able to hear their voice. Because there wasn't huge private lands during that time. All of the vast wilderness, all of the open lands throughout Israel, there were public lands. And so all of your different shepherds would all take their different flocks or herds out into these open lands. And then the sheep would mingle and they would get in between and they would separate and everything else. And then at the end of the day or whenever they were moving on, so that you would not lose your sheep, so you wouldn't have one that would stray off with another group or anything else, they had to be trained to know your voice. Whether it was a particular call or just knowing the voice of their shepherd. So even though when they were scattered amongst the other flocks or herds, the shepherd's voice would call them back and they would know to come. And so the primary function of a shepherd was the protection, the nourishment, and the keeping of the herd together. And for this to be done well, a shepherd must be selfless to give them themselves for the sheep and see this imagery of shepherd is fitting to God and is intended to have those aspects that are understood of the role of the shepherd to be applied to God over his people but it wasn't limited to just God It was used as the primary descriptor or language for those who were put into position to lead God's people. During that time in Israel, that included both spiritual leadership but also political leadership. Priests were referred to as shepherds. Biblical scholars were referred to as shepherds. and Kings were referred to as shepherds during that time. But one thing that is interesting is whenever you go through this language of shepherd as applied to those who have been put into authority and position by God himself, it is rarely used in a positive way. As we see in the Ezekiel passage, it's not a lot of love coming from God at that moment towards the shepherding of the shepherds that he had put over Israel. But one thing to note is that as you read these, these passages, these warnings, these judgments that are brought to, to the shepherds of God's people, even as bad as it might have gotten, as terrible as it seems that it had become in Ezekiel's time, the issue was not the existence of leaders and not the authority structures that were in place. See, it wasn't coming from more of a modern, libertine, autonomy type of mindset that we often have. If you have corrupt and bad leaders, then we need to get rid of leaders and try to think of ourselves as as master of our own destiny and as individuals. But that's not what happens in God's Word. See, the issue was not the existence of leaders God put them in place, nor the structures that those leaders filled. But instead, we see over and over again that the issue is that the shepherds were corrupt. They were selfish instead of selfless. And in no way reflect the true shepherd, which is God. We see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, some of the harshest words that we read are directed towards the shepherds or the leaders of God's people. We see that in Jesus. His greatest anger, most piercing criticisms were directed to those who were supposed to be leading God's people, who were supposed to be shepherds. And I think that the anger and judgment that is directed specifically towards those who have that place and role of a shepherd of God's people, as well as the fact that despite the damage done by these shepherds, ordained leaders, the people who are leading God, the role and structure is not removed. I think both of those realities is due to the nature of sheep. So we have the first century understanding and nature of a shepherd and now the imagery of sheep. Because as prominent as the imagery and language of shepherd is within Scripture, there is an equal emphasis on us, God's people, being depicted as sheep. Now it's kind of hard when we look at it, because the, the thing is, is when it's God's word, it's like, okay, yeah, that's good. But normally in most contexts, we don't like being called sheep. Right? Like if I stood up here, I'm like, you guys are all sheep. You know, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, sweet. You know what I mean? Like, that's not necessarily carrying good connotations. But what's funny is I think a lot of times, I think to make it more palatable, when we read scripture, all of a sudden we bring to our mind imagery of sheep in a positive sense, of these nice, warm, snuggly, sweet, and innocent, lovable little creatures and then it makes it feel a little bit easier whenever we're referred to over and over and over again as sheep. So it's like, oh yeah, I guess I, guess I am kind of snuggly and cute and lovable. But that's not at all what a first century person who lives in a culture that is surrounded by sheep and no sheep would ever think about sheep. I, I remember so we started doing goats at um, with 4-H. The boys did. And, and I always wanted, I'm like, we have to do goats. Can't we why don't we do sheep? Like, you boys should do sheep. And I wanted to, not because I had, like, an affection for sheep, but I just really like lamb meat. And it's expensive. And so I thought, well, if we go that route, then I can keep a couple for myself, and this will be a good way to go about it, and I can get my gyros when I want them. But then all of a sudden, we went to, like, the 4-H shows, and I started to see that these sheep, they were lambs. They weren't even full-grown yet. They weren't as cute and cuddly. They're kinda nasty. They're really dumb, yeah. They weren't like sweet and cuddle up on you. It's like if you would walk towards them and try to get them to do anything. They didn't like bah. It was like ah! and they were like you know, like this horrible sound. Like it... And then we talked to people who who raised sheep and I and I talked to people who whose lives were farming sheep. And as I researched sheep a little bit more. I began to realize that what is well known by anybody who knows sheep is that they're extremely stubborn creatures, very, very stubborn. The imagery that is prominent in the Eastern icons and, like I said, was etched into the walls of the catacombs of of the shepherd holding the lamb over his shoulders. That wasn't just Christian imagery. That was a reality that shepherds had to do because sheep are so, so stubborn that they could be in a horrible, horrible situation and yet you cannot get them to go. So then you have to huck them onto your shoulders and force them to go. Sheep are defenseless. They're not fighting back. A wolf gets in there. There's nothing they're going to do. As Colleen mentioned, they are kind of dumb. Actually, really dumb. One of the things that I had heard and read is is that if sheep are separated from the flock, they almost always can't find their way back. Which kind of makes sense. They're not hunting pigeons. But I also read that sometimes they will get separated from the flock and they can't find their way back even though they are in a place where they can see the flock. I was listening to, uh, I remember a story that a preacher had shared about time that had spent... Uh, visiting, and I believe it was Scotland, Scotland or Ireland, and he was telling a story about how they were driving through the countryside, and this beautiful, you know, like the green hills with then with the cliffs on top, and it was just gorgeous. And they were driving, and it was like there's all these like you know white spots dotting the hillside, and like you know what a perfect like Scottish picture, the sheep grazing the cliffs, the green. And they said as they got closer and closer that all of those white spots were all dead sheep and found out because one walked off the cliff and a bunch of them just started walking off of the cliff and were just dotting the pristine countryside with their dead carcasses, And as I said, sheep need constant guidance to be led to green pastures. Because if they don't, they will be surrounded by green and starved to death as they sit there and try to chew up what's left of all the grass they already ate. And continually in Scripture, God says, you are my sheep, doesn't that feel good? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is you, you can't take the imagery too far. I mean, as humans, we're, we're not that dumb. Most of us. Actually, we're very, very clever. To the point of, in many ways, our own demise. We're not completely defenseless, we did create nukes. We're not just exactly one-to-one like sheep, but in other ways, we are. I think we're called sheep because despite all of our intelligence and all of our technology, we're still very quite vulnerable creatures. Vulnerable from attacks and predators that take very different forms. And in our fallen nature... We are a very stubborn species. Even when we know that something is going to kill us or hurt us or destroy us, we just keep going back. And whenever we are trying to be guided towards what would give us life to green pastures to safety. We often fight and end up needing dragged and sometimes picked up and thrown over somebody's shoulders and carried to that place. And whether or not we like it, humans are herd animals. Herd animals that will always look to a shepherd in some form. I mean it's not popular in the modern West. It was accepted in the ancient world and it's ab- abhorred in our modern society. But I think one thing that I think is funny is that there's some irony because because how did it all of a sudden that after thousands of years of thinking differently, the entire society began to become autonomous individual thinkers? And we did it as a herd. <laughs> it wasn't, ah, one person thinks this way and this person thinks this way. Like No, we all think we're that. <laughs> the power we see more and more of social trends and marketing, shifting values that seem to shift not as individuals in all different directions, but as a flock. I think of um, the atheist philosopher Nietzsche. And I think one of his, his more valuable insights and one of his fears is in his, his philosophy of, of existing in a world that is post-God. He's famous for God is dead. He didn't completely celebrate that. Because one of the things that he said was going to occur is that as God loses his place within society, there will not be a vacuum. And it will be replaced with something. Because that's the nature of who we are. And Nietzsche actually feared pondering to himself because he thought that if once God is fully removed, once God is fully dead, that he would likely be replaced with political ideology and the state. And he pondered to himself, whether false religion or politics would be a worse shepherd to sit under. So as uh, Dylan famously sang, in one of his later albums that i think are not nearly as good as his early stuff but you're going to serve somebody whether we like it or not because that is our nature as sheep you see the issue is not that we are sheep it's not that we look to shepherds or even that there are earthly shepherd figures but the nature of the shepherds that we rely upon and look to. This is where one of the things that is next week I want to dive more deeply into, but I I need to mention that if you look in Ezekiel 34, look in our gospel lesson, that at the heart of all of the issues with the shepherds is that they were self-consumed. They were leaders that used the people for their own agenda, for their own uh, benefit, And whenever any threat to themselves would come, they will abandon their people and flee for safety. And in so doing, these shepherds forget that they too are sheep. In a portion of the Ezekiel prophecy that I did not put into the bulletin, 17 through 22, Ezekiel uh, God through Ezekiel makes an interesting shift from speaking to shepherds and sheep to fat sheep and skinny sheep. As he's pronouncing judgment on the shepherds. Because they forgot that they too are sheep. And sadly, this was more common than not back then. Too often we see pronouncements that the majority of the shepherds had abandoned their calling and role. And sadly also, it seems to be far too true today. But I think that that's why it is so critical and so important that when God the Father refers to Himself as Shepherd, when Jesus refers to the Father as Shepherd, when Jesus refers to Himself as Shepherd, He doesn't say, I am the Shepherd. He doesn't even say, I am the Shepherd. He always says, I am the Good Shepherd. There was that necessity to use the qualifier of good because of the preponderance of bad, selfish, harmful shepherds and leaders that were leading the people. And I think that we are acutely aware of this today. Not that today is any different, but we have media, we have broader forms of communication, we hear of more that we normally wouldn't hear of. And the church has been racked with scandal after scandal after scandal. And it doesn't matter if you're Roman Catholic, evangelical, Anglican, Presbyterian. It's been constant and continual. But the thing is, is this language and imagery of the Good Shepherd reminds us that even though it exists, that God is not blind nor apathetic towards the abuses and perversions done by leaders and shepherds, even though they are functioning in offices and roles established by God and upheld by his word, leveraging authority that was granted to them by God. And because this imagery is so integral to understanding God's redemptive and salvific work it indicates to us that at the heart of our redemption is not only a deliverance and a liberation and a freeing of the sin that is harming ourselves. The, 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 the destruction that is coming from within. But God's salvific work is a work that is depicted as, a shep, as the good shepherd coming and restoring the sheep that have been scattered and left for dead. And so it gives hope. It gives certainty that in the midst of the corruptions of things done in his name that that too will be dealt with and we will be liberated from the harm and the abuse that has happened from false shepherds. And yet in God's long-suffering mercy toward those sheep functioning as shepherds, his judgment is restrained for now. Thank God. So selfish and abusive shepherds as spoken of by Jesus, spoken of by Ezekiel, will continue to remain. And I just share that to all of you? It's just like in Ezekiel, the answer is not isolation or pretending to, have, to not have any shepherds. He said, as sheep... We will always find a flock, and that flock will have someone or something guiding it as shepherds. Whatever that flock might be. But instead, that our response is to more deeply cling to the truly good shepherd, the one who was selfless, not selfish. The one who is the antithesis to the bad shepherds. And the one who does not flee from threat, but runs headfirst into it to free his sheep. The one who does not use the sheep for his benefit and their harm, but gave of himself, taking on death itself for our benefit and ultimate good. And despite all of its failures, we must lay hold of our place as redeemed people brought into Christ's flock by grace aligning ourselves with his church, even with its issues and shortcomings. And I'm not just talking about a generic, like, I'm a Christian, I'm part of the church. I'm talking about a true flock. Something tangible and local. And I do want to say that as we read through these things, we talk so much about the failure of the church today. And it's true. Um, sorry. But it's hard. A lot of people have been hurt, and I've dealt with a lot of those people. But here's the thing. Yes, there is failure of the church. And yes, as a church, we are all ministers. We are all together at one. There is no hierarchy. But it's not completely egalitarian. Because if you look in Scripture, yes, all of Israel went astray. But that strain, the judgment of that, where was it placed? The shepherds. And the same with the church. Yes, there's been failure. But Scripture makes it pretty clear that the judgment responsibility is placed on those who claim to be shepherds. And so finally, just speaking regarding human shepherds. The corruption, the failures of some does not mean the abandonment of the role nor our need for it. Because God never does. Sometimes you might question why. But those who want to don the collar and take the pulpit, or don the skinny jeans and take the pulpit, or don whatever else they might want, do so as sheep seeking to imitate the true shepherd. And though certainly imperfect, they are to strive to follow and emulate the leadership of our true pastor, priest, and king. And so I'm not saying this, that you must then take Redeemer as your flock and the priests that serve this church as shepherds. But what I am saying is that if, which I hope and believe it will never happen, but if I ever fail my orders, abuse my role, use my ordained position for my own benefit and gain to the hindrance of God's people, that in that it is painful and it is hurtful and it would be horrible, but you please do not allow that to cause you to flee God's flock, but instead to seek diligently for a church with shepherds that are striving to reflect the good shepherd. So we have this reoccurring theme of the good shepherd that is repeated over and over and over again. And it's not just a convenient analogy or a parable that teaches well but it's a reality providing hope, direction, that is calling out the pain that has been caused by those who assumed the role of shepherd or leader. So that it points our eyes toward the shepherd, the true shepherd that all other shepherds or leaders must submit to, are to reflect. And it's also a loving voice of compassion to all who are now scattered from the flock, isolated, trying to make it on their own, feeling separated from God and his people. It's a loving voice that, despite the failings of earthly leaders, our Lord as the Good Shepherd will not leave us separated and vulnerable, but comes to us to bring us back to green pastures. That we might be covered by his mighty protection as sheep redeemed by the blood of the Good Shepherd who became the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons, and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. the mercy, my God, is the theme of my song. The joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last.